0: the free for all round table
1: round 2 On round two today, Pavan Brach is here, serial entrepreneur in marketing, tech, real estate and, of course, part-time farmer. Uh, Michelle Morrow is a music teacher and Deb Hutton, I guess you had to hustle Tim off the microphone and uh, take over the desk. Deb Hutton is here, former advisor to two premiers of Ontario. Nice to have you all. Good morning. And let's dispense with this fairly quickly. I'm more interested in the landscape that you see right now in the Toronto mayor's race as opposed to individual polls. But I think this latest Bowl gives us an interesting picture, one of which is she's barely campaigning that I can see, but Olivia Chow is well into the lead. Another takeaway I would submit is that Josh Matlow is performing fairly strongly, Mark Saunders perhaps underperforming, Anna Bailau underperforming as well, and Brad Bradford, I would argue, is punching above his weight. But let me see what you guys have to say. I'll start with Michelle Morrow.
2: Um, I'm surprised Anna Baolo, I feel like I'm saying her last name wrong, I feel, I, I'm surprised that Anna isn't doing as well as I expected because she came out with such a strong platform. I remember when you were interviewing her and I really liked what she was saying and she presented our ideas very clearly. Um, so I'm really surprised that she's not higher in the polls. I kind of wish she was. Um, I think Olivia Chow is falling back on her name. She's released the least amount of platforms and it's really disappointing to see someone who has so much history and so much experience not actually putting the work in.
1: Okay, and worth noting again, Deb Hutton, for sake of disclosure, that you're backing Anna Bailow. Uh And I would agree with Michelle. I thought she started strong, and maybe she's got a long game.
0: Yeah, and, and I, uh, you know, listen, there's there's organization, there's what we see in the press, and there's money. And I would argue for Anna Bailao, she's actually doing quite well on all those three things. Um, you mentioned that Olivia's in the lead, and I think that is the one thing, regardless of the different polls, that everybody has. The other, the other polls are quite different as to who's in second, third, and fourth, and what the numbers are. But no doubt, Olivia's in the lead. The second thing that I think is interesting, which happened on Friday, John, after your show, is that the premier pretty much again having said he wouldn't do it said mark saunders is my candidate and so i think it will be interesting going forward to see whether that's uh, a plus or a minus for mark
1: Pavin, i realize it's not that you don't have a pony in the race but i don't think you pay any taxes in the city of toronto um, but for some people i know olivia chow being in the lead is like an existential crisis
3: Yeah, I I did pay taxes once upon a time. And yes, it is an existential crisis. I mean, she's she's yesterday's news and um, she's, you know, carefully hiding, uh, not putting out any kind of real material. I'm waiting for John Tory to throw his support, because he's still the leading runner, even though he's not running, and, and And my guess, of course, is that it will be to Anna Bilo. So I'm I'm sort of waiting for that to happen, and then the race begins, and you know, whether he gets pulled off and the Premier calls him and convinces him to back Saunders instead is a question, but I, I don't see that happening.
1: Now, that's an interesting scenario. I hadn't thought that John might endorse, but I know that for him, it's still a legacy issue, and I can also say his endorsement matters. Brad Bradford said he uh, didn't think he was going to win as a city council until John Tory endorsed him and that put him over the top um, and I actually I'll stick with you for a moment Bob and there is a column you were particularly animated by this morning Jamie Watt who's a well-known uh, political advisor and fix-it man and uh, he's arguing that we need some genuine leadership in this town or we're going to be rudderless
3: y- yes with respect to uh, tr- With respect to transit, and I think um, you know, he really made a great case of saying that we need a transit czar that's above politics uh, and uh, can help us design what we're planning to do. And I would, I would take that, I would endorse that, and take it to the national level to say that you know, if we look at a lot of the issues that we're dealing with, you know, homelessness, home affordability, uh, the issues around our offices being empty downtown, um, it's not a coincidence that that we are also ranked in Toronto as the seventh worst city to commute in. Uh, so, you know, we, we, can't, we can't continue to ignore uh, the issues that we're dealing with. And the problem, obviously, is that the politicians continue to dip in. And every time there's a new mayor or a new premier, we have a brand new strategy. And in 30 years, we've managed to do not a lot. So, you know, it applies to a lot of things, but specifically for transit, it, if you look at it, it is a major issue. Toronto is a world leader in AI, uh, but we're building our traffic systems to to serve a, a model for business and for where people work and how people travel and do things. Uh, that's that's still deeply rooted in the '80s, and uh, so I think I think we really need need somebody who is above the political fray who can really guide and make tough decisions uh, for the for the country and for the city specifically.
1: Okay, Deb Hutton. Normally, you recuse from transit issues because it's well known you sit on the board of directors at Metrolinx, but I don't think this is exactly a partisan or industrial, you know, I think you can probably advance the debate some.
0: Yeah. And and listen, in an ideal world, I agree with Pavan. Absolutely. Here's the problem. We see this in any of our sort of um, pseudo arms length agencies in government, whether it's federal, provincial or municipal, they don't work what ends up happening is that the politicians wear the decisions anyhow and so then they stick their fingers in and it just is i think it's the worst case scenario i, I agree with the principal Pavin, but but the reality of it is it is a disaster we are actually lucky right now on transit in that we have three levels of government for the first time i think in history who have agreed on a transit plan for toronto and on the funding of it and just keep moving is all I would say on that.
1: Okay. Well, let's keep moving on the roundtable as well. And Michelle, I would imagine you have a few thoughts this morning on the exit of the Toronto Maple Leafs on Friday. Um, are you one of those people who's making cocoa and saying it's great that we got to where we got? Or do you want to blow the whole place up? <laughs>
2: um, I I st- I really like hockey, but I don't understand the structure of how, like, the team works. Like, the having the manager versus the coach, who is more responsible, that is something I'm not familiar with. But we have, for the longest time, we've been probably one of the most profitable teams with, like, the worst record. So why is this happening, and why is it taking so long for us to figure it out? I will admit, though, I was at a wedding. Not a wedding. I was at a military event on Friday night, and there was a bunch of us with a little, with a little phone watching the last of the game. <laughs> so I do understand that some people are heavily invested, but I just wish... Um, whoever is managing the Leafs would take some time and figure out how to do better by their fans.
1: Okay, everybody's going to have a theory post what happened on Friday, Pavin. Um, should the Knives be out in the management suite? Should they be making trades? What should happen?
3: Well, of course, I prefer pond hockey, John, but I will say that, uh, you know, when it comes to the Leafs, it looks like we have the most expensive players in the league, and yet we can't win as a team. So it may be time for... For ted lasso uh it may be time for change at the top because if you've got the best materials and you can't make it all work i mean my my uneducated view would be that, it, that the top needs to be changed
1: first here's matt cause from tsn and what he had to say earlier on the show because he's a guy who lives and breathes this stuff it is time to move on from some of these parts and i'll do this quick but without emotion <laughs> the the maple leafs have had 50 playoff games with this group together Their winning percentage would be less than what the Arizona Coyotes were this year. Matthews, Marner, Nylander, and Tavares are all wonderful players, but their production goes down steadily when the playoffs start. Then when you get into elimination games, it goes
2: down again.
1: Okay, and Deb, I don't know if you want to throw in on this. I mean, are the girls disappointed?
0: Yeah, it was disappointing on Friday night for sure. We were, you know, all sitting around and watching it. But then on Saturday, John, we printed the Buffalo Bills schedule. So we've moved on.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think a lot of people have. Although, unfortunately, the Toronto Rock also lost their playoff match. And so no more lacrosse. That's it for basketball. And uh, lacrosse and uh, hockey, so we're all going to have to move on to the Blue Jays, who are doing pretty well. Nick Moreno, you were telling me you were ready to go to bat for the the Jays?
3: Yes, exactly. They've uh, won every single series when they played division rivals, so we're going okay so far.
1: Okay. Uh, Cooling off period for the resale of homes, and Deb, I appreciate that the column was written by Tim Hudak, but uh, I was curious about your analysis. Tim argues, as he did moments ago on our air Waves that a new build, okay, cooling off period. It's not going to hurt the developer that much, but having buyers remorse in an open sale of a uh, resale home is uh, destructive. Nothing else.
0: Yeah, as much as I'd love just for fun to argue against it, I'm hard pressed to do <laughs> that, John. I am, um, uh, you know, I feel um, as though I, I've bought four properties in my life by myself and and with my husband, and. You don't sleep that night when you actually sign the deal. At least I don't. There's always a little bit of, my gosh, if I overpaid, did I, you know, should I do this? All those sorts of questions. I mean, who wouldn't? It's a big purchase. What I worry about, and which is why I support this notion, is that as people have incredible difficulty getting into the market, they, they push governments and decision makers to swing things in favor of a buyer, and yet we as sellers, we as property owners, have to have rights. This is something that we've purchased not just to live in, but as an investment for both of us. And, and increasingly, there, as much as I you know, support consumer protection, there's been more and more ratcheting down of the ability of a seller to actually sell their property as a profit, as an investment, or just because they want a change. And and so I don't like anything that continues to put more and more pressure on a seller.
1: Yeah, and Pavan, I have supported previous initiatives for change in the real estate market. For example, I think there should be open bidding. I can't stand the idea of secret bidding. Um, but on, on this file, I cannot imagine what it would be like to be a seller, have a deal, then have to, somebody walk back two days later and say, no, I don't think so, and finding out that all the other bidders had already bid on something different.
3: Yeah, it makes no sense. Um, I, I think it's so confusing. It creates new layers. It creates confusion for for first time home ba- buyers who you know now have to deal with the uh, you know people speculative offers that that where there's no penalty because they have a cooling off period. Now it, it's a complete mess, and I don't think it makes any sense. That's why they made conditional offers. I mean, if you don't, if you're not sure, make it conditional. And and I think you can see the markets cooled off quite a bit. So those kinds of offers are now being accepted. So I don't think it's necessary.
1: Yeah, Michelle. Certainly, the, when I was buying my most recent house, and I don't know if there's going to be another one, um, we couldn't put any conditions in because the market was so freaking hot, you just had to get the house for the price it was selling for. Uh, But still, I think the idea of being able to go home and think about it after you bid in a home is wrong.
2: I agree. I feel like you should be doing this before you put the offer in. Like you should have all your ducks lined up. I have two sets of friends who, uh, when the market cooled before COVID, I can't remember the exact year, but the market cooled very quickly. And both of them had sold their houses and the new buyers then backed out of financing. And one of them lost the house they were trying to, their new house, because they couldn't bridge the mortgage and they couldn't afford it without the seller, uh, without the buyer taking it. And I felt awful for them. And I feel like it's just setting up a ton of people for that same sort of thing. Folks, thank you all
1: very much. We're at a racetrack, but much appreciated. Appreciated. Pavin Brach, Michelle Morrow, and Deb Hutton on round two. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010, Toronto.